0: Come on, boys! The boys are back and Blitz month rolls on, and actually, this is going to be the final Blitz month interview. I am saving the best for last. He is one of the guys who I think, if not number one on the all-time list of guest appearances, would be number two behind Jimmy. So I, you know, I think it's one-two with you guys. You guys know him as DY. I know him as Derek Young, the main man over at K State Online, a newly minted Manhattan, Kansas resident. Derek, I want to ask you this because the four years I lived in Manhattan were the four happiest years of my life. How good does it feel to be a townie?
1: Yeah, it's, I just finished the move probably a few days ago. Um, Yeah, got all my things out of Kansas City. Um, to Manhattan, but I've been staying in Manhattan for a good three weeks now, I want to say, and uh, I have high hopes of what it's going to be like. It's been a pretty strong three weeks. The convenience um, tied into work is not something that I guess I valued enough, because now I would probably, I'm going to be pretty spoiled when it comes to that. Um, No, Not as many long drives and stuff of Of that nature, when it comes to the all the press conferences that I attend, and obviously the home games uh, for both football and basketball, so the convenience is on the high end. But uh, just being in Manhattan, being around the community, seeing I probably see, you know, someone that at least knows me, even if I don't know them nearly every day.
0: Well, that's awesome. So I am happy that you get to be there. So in honor of you being a townie, yeah. Boom, cracking open a towny wheat from Manhattan Brewing Company. I'm dubbing this the Tailgate Beer of 2022. So I'm telling all the boneheads this, I'm telling you this. Derek, since you're there, the next time you need a great local craft beer, head over to Manhattan Brewing Company, get yourself a beer. And then for not for you, I don't think you're probably allowed to do this, but for all the boneheads. Go in, grab a pint, and then take a four-pack to the tailgate before that home opener this week. On September 9th, they have a fun event going on with Stan Weber. They just released their pumpkin beer. So you know the pumpkin boys We're going to be grabbing that like crazy starting on uh, September fir- September 1st, although I did have my first pumpkin beer this Saturday while I watched Nebraska lose in Ireland to Northwestern. Uh, And again, they're also going to be dropping a new collaboration beer with the Golden Cats. They're going to have their October fest out soon and a collaboration beer with Swag Team 6, a.k.a. the equipment team. So they're going to have a New England style IPA that is brewed in collaboration with the K-State football equipment team. So who knows, Derek, maybe one of us, probably you since you're living there, but maybe me. Because I will beg for it, can get a collaboration beer with Manhattan Brewing here soon. So the next time I'm up there, let's record a show at Manhattan Brewing.
1: Yeah, we can do a KSO Bosco's uh, new beer. We'll get that get that brewed and, and produced. I like I like the the thought behind that. The townie's is actually you know my girlfriend Mary's favorite beer at Manhattan Brewing Company.
0: Well, it's delicious. I just slugged that. Luckily, like when I'm doing these shows on Zoom. Uh, on my mic, I can just mute it, so you, you won't see it pop up as a mute, but I'm muting that. I'm chugging it down. It is delicious. Like I said, I'm calling it the tailgate beer of the season. I love it, but let's get into it, but shout out to Manhattan Brewing Company. Um So I think I came into preseason camp. I think most people came into preseason camp with safety listed as their biggest worry, how has that group shaken out over the last few weeks? And what's your confidence level in that group heading into week number one?
1: It's probably not my biggest concern anymore. Like Chris Kleinman, I thought it was the question mark of the defense, but it's probably not anymore. Some of that has to do with kind of the growth and development of the players there, to be quite honest. And it wasn't even though that was the question mark, it was more because we're going to see a lot of players there that we haven't really necessarily seen before. But my concern wasn't stark because they had so many capable players, even if we hadn't seen them before. Josh Hayes, and I think we all are pretty aware that he's going to be a capable Big 12 football player. The same can probably be said for Drake Cheatham. We know T.J. Smith. We know Sincere Mason. Um, Kobe Savage sounds like he's going to be a capable you know, Big 12 caliber football player. So I, I think the question was more or less who's going to take the bull by the horns and not necessarily are are we going to find three guys here that are plenty good enough to compete in the big 12, because I think the answer to that's going to be yes.
0: So now to where my biggest worry is, I think we all at least came into preseason camp, just thinking outside of do screen, everything else that's going to just fall into place at linebacker and get figured out. But it seems like that's kind of been singled out by Chris Klein and people uh, you know, I know hate, people hate this phrase, but people in the know seem to say, all right, that is now the position group of worry. How do you kind of handicap and what do you kind of look into the position group outside of the screen?
1: That's probably where my most doubt lies, because um, we just don't know. Like, the, I think the same linebacker, I think Sean Robinson is going to be able to produce there um, in terms of depth behind them. Probably a bit of a question. Is Khalid Duke going to play Sam linebacker at all, and how healthy is he actually? I mean, I think that's a, a a pretty fair question. If Desmond Purnell's really the number two, how ready is he? He's still pretty young, and he just moved to that position not long ago. How healthy is Will Honus? It seems like that's a question again, um, and because we didn't see him available for many of the preseason practices if Austin Moore is the starter can he continue the growth that he's flashed in the last couple of games of the season but he's never started before and the production that they're probably going to ask of him is quite a, significantly more than before so then you get to the point where man the only comfort you really have is Daniel Green now the good thing is is he might be the best linebacker in the big 12 so that takes away some of the sting but just about everything else aside from Daniel Green um, isn't all sun, sunshine, rainbows, and butterflies right now.
0: Yeah, and, and that will be interesting. That's going to be something I have my eye on with, honestly, a lot of a lot of my attention on defense for those first couple of games. Let's switch over to the offensive side of the ball. Uh, you know, everyone knows Deuce Vaughn. Everyone knows, you know, Chris Vaughn, you know. Uh, if you want to go with the official uh, name on the driver's license. How dependable is he going to be catching and running the ball throughout the entire season? Can we see him kind of have that same uh, production yardage touchdown-wise? Can he take it up a level? What should K-State fans be hoping to see?
1: I mean, he almost had 2,000 yards combined last year. I think it was 1,800, 1,900 around that ballpark. Yeah, I think it was like
0: 1,500 and 400
1: I think he's going to flirt with 2,000 uh, total. I, and, and yeah, maybe they want to relieve him a bit here and there, but they probably have a little less depth, at least proven depth in the backfield than they had this time last year. Um, even though I think DJ Giddens is going to produce and give you some spark here and there can give you a little bit of flash. Um, they're probably going to reel off five to 10 more plays a game. Um, some games it'll be more, maybe some games it's right there, but the average is probably going to sit in that, 10-snap-a-game neighborhood, I would imagine, because, um, man, they only, they had so much less than every everyone else last year. So 10's not even – 10's a lot, um, but it still only gets you – Gets you, you into, like, to average. It gets you to average in college football, because 10 will get them to about 70, which is average in college football. And 10 more a game, I mean, that's per, perhaps 120, at least 120, maybe 130 extra snaps a season. That's a lot, because that's 120, 130 extra touches – um spread out for some people and will that be deuce if it is he's probably getting 2,000 yards we we'll always ask the question about durability when it comes to him and knock go oh, what well, i'm not trying to jinx anything but it's like that doesn't necessarily have to be a concern because he takes such good care of his body
0: all right so this is a question and i've i've kind of struggled with this i've wrestled with this it was asked of me when i went on andy mitz's uh show uh, the Rock Chalk podcast, because he was previewing all 10 teams in the Big 12. And he asked me this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask it to you as well. How important is it to actually have someone emerge as the second go-to guy outside of Deuce, uh, Deuce 4K State to achieve what we want? Or can we just kind of keep that extreme? Deuce remains that big percentage of offensive production. No one rises up and we still achieve uh, possibly what we think we might.
1: I don't necessarily think that they have to have someone rise up because, you know, assuming there's no setbacks at any point, Deuce Vaughn's healthy. You're always going to be a better football team when your best player's on the field. And if he's good to go, then you're going to ride him. That's your horse. And no offense to every other player on the Kansas State roster, from the offensively speaking, but there's nobody as close to good as him. Um, whether they play running back or receiver, skill position wise, no one's even as close to as good as Deuce Vaughn. Um, And you're going to have to rely on someone, especially if you're going to rattle off 70, 75 plays a game, there's going to have to be someone else, but they ride Deuce so much that, you know, it's not, you know, one of the top five things that I think has to be addressed, especially since I think DJ Giddens is fine enough, but do they need like a, A number two that's a top five, top ten running back in the Big 12, they don't. But I do think D.J. Kins has a lot of upside.
0: So when it comes to the passing game, because, again, I think uh, in the last two years, Deuce Vaughn has been the leader, uh, I think, in both receptions and yardage-wise on the team. Do they need one of these wide receivers to kind of step up and be like, all right, hey, Deuce can still get his 400, 500 yards receiving, but do we need to see a – Wide receiver get to 700, 800 yards receiving, uh be the uh, number one target, or can we sustain it with death by a thousand paper cuts? With Deuce Vaughn still leading that side of the offense as well,
1: but with them, you know, I think guiding the offense toward a certain philosophy and a certain style, and they're going to have to recruit to that in the upcoming years, and it's already begun since they were able to secure Avery Johnson. I do think those guys need weapons. Um, when you're talking about those 10 to extra 10 to 15 snaps a game, those are probably, I think, majority passes going forward with the way this offense works or that they want it to work or that Colin Klein wants it to work. Um, and if that's the case, they need reliable wideouts. Malik Knowles, he's got all conference potential and all conference skill set without ever having all conference productivity. Just the consistency has not been there. Um, Phil Brooks, consistent, but maybe not that all-conference dynamic, explosive playmaking ability. And a same can probably be said of Cade Warner, even though his intangibles probably makes everybody on the offense a better player. Um, that's why RJ Garcia is very, very important, in my opinion. There's, you know, I'm, I, you can make an easy case He's one of the three most important players on the offensive side of the ball this season. If they're going to reach Arlington.
0: That is a great little tease that maybe we'll hear a little bit more about RJ Garcia in one of these questions coming up before we get Derek to go on the record, the final time for this year, 2020, we will get the blitz month predictions before we do our friends at Charlie Hustle. They're still riding with us bonehead nation. I got to tell you this, this past Friday, was the Nebraska capsule launch over at Charlie Hustle. And what did we do? We dominated Charlie Hustle's mentions and notifications because we were giving away a free Charlie Hustle shirt over on the Bosco's Boys account. And we rode hard and we were, you know, the eclipse. We blocked out nebraska on their launch day and we might have to do that again this friday as well with a giveaway but if you don't want to take your chances with a giveaway head over to charlie hustle's website use promo code bosco 15 you can get 15 percent off any of the charlie hustle shirts not just the k-state launch that happened i just bought myself another Uh, charlie hustle shirt i just bought myself a crew neck from them you can also get stuff from their arrowhead collection their crown town collection which is uh associated with the kansas city royals the sporting club hey sporting kc one again the classic kc hearts the kansas city monarchs all sorts of good stuff over at charlie hustle is a local kansas city brand putting out some fire shirts also man i i regret not getting their len dawson shirt r.i.p len dawson they had a Lenny the Cool shirt that was in stock for the longest time. I never pulled the trigger. Now I really wish I had it, um, but I'm going to be over there. I, I might have to get myself something from the Arrowhead collection before that week one football game. But let's get to the predictions. Sponsored by Charlie Hustle, promo code Bosco15. Bosco All right, who's going to be the offensive MVP? Open-ended. This has been dominated by one guy. There's been someone else mentioned a few times as well but who Adrian. are you going on the record with for your offensive MVP? Just for the record,
1: it has it been just all Deuce and Adrian, I'm guessing?
0: Yes, we have not had anyone besides Deuce or Adrian be predicted for offensive MVP.
1: Yeah, well. Right I mean, I,
0: I don't see any world where, like, I think shit has hit the fan. I think something bad has happened if it's someone besides those two.
1: No, you're right. You, you could probably still make a case for Cooper Beebe just because – He's the best offensive lineman in the big 12, um, maybe outside of Connor Galvin, him and him or Connor Galvin, at Baylor and he can play every position uh, on the entire offensive line. So you can make a case for Cooper BB, but that's just not sexy. I and mean, you're in, you know, the offensive MVP is never going to be an offensive lineman. I'm sorry, Cooper.
0: Well, but it's So, just... in my uh, third horseman, because I did my own, I, I answered all my questions because I think it's unfair if I'm going to ask, you know, upwards of 20 people to go on the record and then not answering myself. For that right. second question, I did have Cooper Beebe as my third horseman. So, I, I did get a little bit of Cooper Beebe love in there.
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, he, he belongs in the discussion. I love Deuce Vaughn. He's the best player on this team, but you said valuable. And if they go to the Big 12 championship, it's going to be because Adrian Martinez um, reached his ceiling of potential in Manhattan, I believe.
0: All right. So assuming you have Deuce as the number two guy, who is going to be the third horseman for this, uh, for this offense?
1: That's probably Cooper Beebe or RJ Garcia because I know what I'm getting with one and the other one's still a bit of a mystery. I'll go with BB.
0: Okay. So now let's flip to the defensive side. We've had three different. err, uh, So, all right. If we include the bonehead prediction show, I think we had four or five different people pick for this. I think we had three people in the blitz Month shows, three different people pick for the defensive MVP.
1: So uh, would that be Daniel green? Julius Brents and Felix?
0: So, it, yeah, uh, Daniel Green was our number one. Number two has been uh, Felix. Number three actually has been Nate Matlack. And then I think we had one person during the Blitzmont shows go Julius Brents. I can't remember if Echo got one of them, but Echo was mentioned. Uh, as part Eli of uh, the the bonehead prediction extravaganza, Echo was in there. And then I think we also had a Kobe Savage in there during the bonehead extravaganza oh, wow. as well. So yeah, so
1: Kobe Savage, and Echo, and Nate Matlack got to mention before Eli Huggins. I don't correct. Know.
0: Well, I mean, I I'll, I'll say this. I I think I think, uh, think Noseguard is one of those. It's kind of like with the offensive line. It's not nearly as sexy because again. Eli Huggins, he got a couple sacks last year, and he got a few tackles for losses. But his main goal is basically to knock over the center and take at least one guard with him. So I, not, I think a lot yeah. of what he does will go unheralded.
1: Like, and it's even more so now in a 3-3-5. Yes. Like, his productivity is not going to show up on a stat sheet, Less, even less now than what it used to be. So um, just from a statistical standpoint, Um, It's going to be pretty barren for him. I think Nate Matlack, we're probably talking a year too soon. If I was to point that out, Felix is a solid answer. Don't know if he would be my answer. I don't think he is. I'd probably go Daniel Green or Julius Prince. That's really what it comes down to for me. And with uh, the lack thereof around. Yeah. I got to go Daniel green just because of what the linebacker position kind of feels to me right now.
0: Yeah, no, I, I hear you. I actually, I, uh, I predicted him to go over a hundred tackles and he may, when it's all said and done, I think there's a better chance for him to end up being the defensive player of the year than Felix. Um, so I,
1: the tackles for loss for him,
0: he led it the was team. A pretty
1: high It was pretty high number last year, led the team and with, if they have the defensive line that we anticipate them having, like his tackles for loss could be astronomical.
0: Yes, I, I'm looking forward to it. So if you were to go for a dark horse for that honor, and I, I basically said, all right, outside of the three guys who were uh, preseason first team all Big 12, who would you go with?
1: Well, outside, so not Julius. Yeah, um, so
0: Julius wouldn't count. So it would have to be – I mean, this okay. could be your Eli Huggins if you want to get give uh, Eli some love.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's not going, people are going to be like, what, but it's Nate Matlack, it's Eli Huggins. Matlack's going to have the stats, but Eli Huggins is still going to be a better football player this year. They think he's the best nose guard in the big 12. It has to be Eli Huggins.
0: And I think that actually might be the first Eli Huggins mentioned for this honor. So again, saving the best for last, everyone, keep your eyes on Eli um, as well. So let's go to now the breakout player of the season on offense. I, I mean, you can tell me I'm wrong. Context clues would lead me to believe it's going to be R.J. Garcia for you.
1: I think it has to. Who else really qualifies? I mean, if Sammy Wheeler blows up, I guess he yeah, could still S- Sammy Wheeler
0: could qualify. Um, Taylor I mean, Portian. if you think Cade Warner is going to have a big year, that would qualify because, again, his he, he didn't start last year. He, his stats were pretty minimal. Um, DJ DJ, DJ could count. Um, but You could go with Hadley Panzer. Uh, we, we've had that. Taylor,
1: Taylor Portier would probably be a good answer. Yeah, he actually only started two or three games.
0: Yeah. So Taylor Portier would also qualify. Uh, you know, if uh, Panzer Gilliam would co- qualify. Um, I'm trying to think anyone else who there's a chance. I mean, because, you know, Adrian it's Martinez gonna- is like the, like, he's new. So we're not gonna, but he's the (laughs) quarterback. So that that's like the only restriction. So it's it's
1: R.J. Garcia or Taylor Portier, in my opinion. It's one of those two. I I need to I need
0: to give an official because I am keeping track of all this. Yeah,
1: because I don't think that I I don't I don't know if it's a certainty that Hadley Pants are starting. It could
0: be. Oh yeah, no, for sure. I'm just throwing out random names that have been said.
1: Um, my answer will be just because. His ceiling is probably a lot higher this year. Um, even though he might not be as much of a difference maker between the wins and loss columns. Cause I think RJ Garcia is that if he reaches what he can um, early, I still think it's Taylor Portier because if he's all big 12, that's your breakout guy.
0: And I think he definitely has the potential yep. uh, since we're on the offensive line. Um, I've, I have I asked Wyatt this. I'm going to ask you this as well because you two are two of the smarter football minds that we have on. Sell me on the idea of why moving Cooper Beebe possibly to left guard from left tackle is a good idea.
1: I Because they think it would make them a better unit because he's that much better of a left guard than he is a left tackle, which is saying something because he was the best left tackle in the league last year. But I think he knows it and I think the coaches know it that he's still probably 20 times the left guard that he is a left tackle. That's how good of a left guard he is. He might be the first guard taken in the draft. They would not shock me. Um, So if they think that they have a tackle that can play left tackle as good as what a left guard could, then that's your answer.
0: I mean, wouldn't that be saying, uh, that whoever that left tackle is, whether it's KT Lovison, which it sounds like, or Andrew Langing, that they're going to be first team All Big Twelve, since that's what Cooper was.
1: Not if they're not all Big Twelve at left guard, right? So because yeah. Cooper will Cooper BB's. If they are, if Cooper BB's still that much better of a guard than he is a tackle, and if their tackle guard is the same. Okay,
0: I'm I'm following. Okay, yeah. all right. I I still don't buy it. I'll be honest. <laughs> uh,
1: well, and and I no, I totally understand it. I I still have some reservations myself, but that's because some of us have a little bit of PTSD from what we have seen from KT Leviston in the past. So yes. I, it is fair, and this is and it's not a knock on KT Leviston because he looks amazing right now. Oh nobody yeah, I has, was, I was just about to say that nobody that, has seen him as lean as what he is now. He, he's he's leaner Instagram than sure.
0: That Instagram picture of him working out uh, with the football team, again, you know, as Curtis Kelly, you know, said when he was talking about some of the bodies on the basketball team, I'm going to say pause, but that dude is, his body is right. KT's yeah. body is right.
1: He is leaner than Cooper Beebe is right now for, for people to just kind of have an idea. Does that mean he's going to be an exemplary player this year? It doesn't, but... So this, what I was saying, it's not a knock on him, but he has not performed up to standards in the past. So it is fair for people to say, we have to see it to believe.
0: For sure. All right, let's flip to the defensive side and lots of candidates for this one. Who do you have as being the breakout player on defense? A
1: lot of candidates here, a lot of candidates.
0: And this might be the one that we've gotten the most Different. Actually, no, the, the swing game is the one we've gotten the most different answers. But number two has been uh, the yeah, defensive some of these, breakout. Some of these
1: I just don't qualify them myself. Like, Sean Robinson makes sense here. But I'm like, man, it's just so hard. I mean, that guy's been in college football since like 2016, 2017. Is but, he really breaking out?
0: I mean, he, he is he- for us.
1: Yeah, he was. but so was Adrian Martinez technically. So Yeah,
0: but I mean I think that's a different level. Like I I mean I, I, I think Adrian Martinez, I mean I I think we could see like one of the more if he stays healthy and if if you buy into some of the hype and some of the okay Colin Klein sprinkle a little magic dust, I think you could see one of the more prolific total offense numbers from a K state quarterback in for, a really long
1: time. from a cuz the quantity of snaps yes. is going to be higher too and he's going to get a far more opportunities. I agree. Um, but Sean Robinson, um, I think of him, you know, I think of, you could think of Brenda Mott. Um, technically, Robert Heads makes sense. Any of the safeties, <laughs> when I say any of them, there's like five or six, any of them. Josh Hayes make a lot of sense, but I mean, he played really good football for Chris Kleiman already. So it's just hard for me to wrap my mind around him being technically like a breakthrough breakout player. So that's why I keep coming back to Nate Matlack. I just don't know if there's a better
0: well, I'm not counting Nate because he 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 started down the stretch last year. He had Did quite a few started? yeah, he he started two of the final three games.
1: Well, Taylor portier has got more starts than he is, and we counted him. Yeah, I mean,
0: whatever. I, I don't like be, do, being able to count Nate Matlack. I think I yelled if at, at want, one of the boaters and me tried me to now, do that. I'll,
1: I'll get another one. I'll get another I'll get another one. Um if we can't do him, then I and then I end up wanting to do a Josh Hayes or a Sean Robinson or Robert Hentz. Um, and, and I will – you know, Sean Robinson might be a lot of fun to watch. I might go him.
0: He was the bonehead favorite, but I think you were the first one of our actual Blitz Month participants. Uh, Kobe Savage, Josh Hayes have been two of the favorites there. Um, I think we got a uh, T.J. Smith. I let th- that one come through. I, I know, I know, I know. But I know I'm probably I'm probably not being good at my uh, gatekeeping for that answer. But, you know, what? it's my show. He's like, he, come, he'd be like come back. Yeah, he could be a comeback because he was really good at his freshman year. Last year was rough. So I actually. Now, now I'm wondering, I'm going to have to go back through my notes and see if anyone actually said TJ Smith, but there's a lot of options. I think the defense has the potential with as athletic and fast. And with some of these dudes, the way they like to hit, it could be a very entertaining defense to watch. I think they will be good, but I think they truly will be entertaining. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And I think they're going to have a little bit of swagger to them as well. All right. My favorite game. What is the pendulum game of the year?
1: swing game Uh, we answered this on my for our site as well Um, well so fun
0: fact with the bonehead extravaganza the only two games that were not picked was KU and West Virginia or no KU and uh, uh, Tulane every other game was picked by the boneheads during our three hour long show
1: that's crazy
0: every other game was picked and all the boneheads made a pretty good Pretty good one, except for the guy who said South Dakota the first game. I can't remember who said that. That wasn't a very good answer. And but man, I get, it. Don't get, wrong, I it, get like, it. Don't get me wrong. I get
1: it. Don't get me wrong. I get it. But there's not a better answer than Iowa State.
0: Didn't you say TCU for yours, though?
1: That's the on trap the site?
0: game. Oh, that was trap game. I thought you said – someone. I thought someone on – your, I thought someone said TCU is the swing game. Was it, it might Drew? Have
1: been, might have been Grant or Drew, but Iowa State is the swing game to me. And here yeah, I agree. Kind of defend it because let's say best case scenario happens, you're three and zero. Even if you lose to Oklahoma, you're three and one, and you be te- you should be taking home. You're four and one, and you'll pro- you still have a chance to be a favorite at TCU, which is right after Iowa State. So if you would beat all those teams where you feel like you should, then you're six and one before you go into that stretch against oklahoma state texas and baylor
0: yeah i i think it, i think it's iowa state for what you said best case scenario you're setting yourself up and you have so much momentum for that homecoming game versus oklahoma state it's going to be wild because if you were to beat oklahoma and then you beat iowa state as well and i think we're all chalking up that uh tech game um i think you could see eight to ten thousand k-state fans if you're like six and zero going into fort worth I think it would negate any sort of away game atmosphere because it's not very uh, venomous in Fort Worth as is.
1: No, it never is. And the reason why I call that a trap game, though, is despite it not being a volatile atmosphere, it's still on the road. It's in Fort Worth. Um, They're going to be – I don't know if their record will be better this year, but they should have a better team because their defense cannot be worse than it was last season. And you would think with Sonny Dykes and Garrett Riley's offensive coordinator that their offense is going to be at least a tick better. So it's hard not to see them perform a little better, especially since they were completely clocked out when they played Kansas State and Manhattan a season ago. And it's right between those games, right? It's right after the game in Ames, even though you get a bye week before it. It's right after the game in Ames, and then it's right before – that three-game gauntlet that I like to call, which is Oklahoma State, Texas, and Baylor, that assumes all three of those, you know, these play a little bit up to expectations.
0: Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see. I mean, if, uh, you know, the curse of Alabama and the opener holds true for Texas, at that point, they might already fire Steve Sarkeesian. Like, if yeah. you look at, like, the history of the teams that play Alabama in week one, by November, those teams are smoked.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, there is that curse. I yeah I, I was going to write about this too at some point we'll see if I ever get around to it with everything that I have on my plate but I already see chinks in the armor of both Texas and Oklahoma
0: um, oh oh yeah oh yeah
1: and and so which I don't always see this time of year I think we have before Texas they're always dysfunctional so the fact that everyone said well Hudson Card looked the best in practice and Quinn Ewers was named the starter anyways is kind of just what happens in Austin and as a product of their malfunction and dysfunctional culture that, you know, I'm not sure the coaches have all the power. And with Oklahoma, it's kind of sounded a little bit like Austin there and in preseason camp, I'm not sure that they have this well-oiled machine that has been distraction-free like it typically has the Kale Gundy thing, whatever side you fall on, it was still a PR disaster.
0: Yeah, I fall on the side of you fire someone who uses that type of language multiple times. Just for the record, I think you're saying you in general, not me. But yeah, I yeah. just I want to go on the record.
1: Yeah, well, just because we're, we're, yeah, just because. But
0: like down in Oklahoma, I mean, they're they're tip they're very are the one side is far more vocal than the other, and I think that is leading to. Like you said, far more dysfunction in Norman yeah, yeah, than we've and seen. There
1: seems to be multiple versions of how that story unfolded, too. So,
0: yes. All right, let's get to it. You've been predicting game by game. I think when this comes out, your final the the uh, final game versus KU will be released. But what is your official prediction for K State's record?
1: Yeah, you know, blindly, I was. I've been thinking all off season that the floor of this team is seven and four, eight and five and the ceiling is 10 and two, you know, everything goes your way, maybe 11 and one. Um, I don't know that, I mean, 12 and 0 means you, you hit the jackpot, right? You know, once in a lifetime kind of thing. Um, and usually, I've I, you know, the way I do those things and it typically bears itself out unless it's like an, a weird ass here. But typically, it's somewhere in the middle. So blindly, I just been nine and three, nine and three. You know, that's what I tell people. So I still feel the most comfortable with nine and three, but I go through game by game and I get 10 and two.
0: So when I'm writing this down, because again, we put this in cement, do you want me to have you down as nine and three or 10 and two?
1: Uh, 10 and 2 is a lot, a lot more fun to talk about. So. All right.
0: I'm marking you down for 10 and 2. And as we talked about, that was the most favorite. That was the favorite record prediction amongst the boneheads for the three hour prediction extravaganza. And that, except for there was one bonehead. There was one bonehead who predicted us to go 10 and 2, and he gamed out the entire Big 12 schedule, but had us missing out on Arlington, had us at 10 and 2 and finishing third. So it can happen. So I'm going to ask you who's playing in Arlington?
1: yeah i actually have not thought about this um so this is kind of me on the spot and before the chinks in the armor showed and people aren't gonna like to hear this i did like texas this year i did i i was like everything seems to be going sark's way it seems to be distraction free it seems like he kind of has control of what's going on there I don't feel good about it now. I can't. I can't put them there. I really can't. And Tech's not a Big Twelve title caliber team. TCU's not. Baylor's lost a lot. Um, Oklahoma State lost a lot in their back seven. They still have a really good line, and but Jim Knowles is a big loss. Oklahoma that they should not be as good as they were last year, and they did not make the Big Twelve Championship again last year. West Virginia, I think, is going to really unravel by the end of the season.
0: I, I was thinking they were going to fire Neil Brown, but did you see what his buyout is at the end of this year? No, twenty million.
1: Well, that's weird, weirdly
0: high, super high.
1: Yeah, weirdly high, because even if JT Daniels is good for a stretch, it's not going to last, and I, nothing about his career says it will last, um, start to finish. So I'm just. That's not one. I, I mean, it, that's why I think Kansas State can do it. Like, there's, there's not one team. I'm like, oh yeah, they're, they're they got. It. But, and I know Baylor's lost a lot, but I think they have the best coach in the league. Their their schedule does kind of work itself favorably compared to some other teams. I actually don't love the way Kansas State schedule unfolds. It's not the easiest thing, but I can't in my heart pick Texas, Oklahoma, or Oklahoma State, so I have to pick Baylor.
0: With K-State, I assume, right? Yeah, okay, K-State. who who who's wearing uh purple, who's wearing white, who's wearing green? Who's the home team for that?
1: Home team for that. Man, I don't even know. I mean, they're both probably 10-2. It's tied, and Baylor wins the regular season game. So okay,
0: Baylor's So, so K will be wearing white. Do they avenge that regular season loss and do they become Big 12 champions playing in the Sugar Bowl? I think. Does Dave Aranda go back-to-back like Drake? (laughs)
1: Back-to-back. You know what? Baylor's going to be a really good football team by the end of the season because if they have lost a lot, and they have, that means they're going to be playing their best football. I think they beat K-State twice.
0: Well, I do have us. Go, we're very similar. I have us losing to Oklahoma State in the Big Twelve Championship and uh, going ten and three, and then playing in the Alamo Bowl versus Lincoln Riley's USC Trojans. So oh,
1: that'd be fun. Here's why I can't go Oklahoma State. I think Jim Knowles played a very large part in them having an elite defense, and I don't think their offense has the firepower of old to make up for them not having an elite defense anymore.
0: I just when it comes to football predictions, I worship at the altar of Jimmy. And if Jimmy is low on Baylor, if he's saying like they might be like an eight-win team, then I'm riding with Jimmy. So uh,
1: no, I mean, no, I don't feel good. About yeah, I don't feel good about Baylor, but I don't feel good about Texas, Oklahoma, or Oklahoma State. So who do I pick?
0: I mean, this it's lining up to this could be quite possibly the most fun and most open Big Twelve since what, 2007, which again, unbalanced schedule, but you had what, five teams at one point in the top 10. I don't think it's going to be like top heavy like that. I don't think we're ever going to see where you have five teams in the top 10, but I think you can come middle of November. I think five teams could quite frankly still be in the conversation to make it to here, here Here's
1: my open-ended question on Oklahoma State. Is Spencer Sanders really a good enough quarterback to – take oklahoma state to the big 12 championship game but they don't have a top 20 12 25 defense this,
0: this is my reply to that who in the big 12 can you definitively confidently say is going to be a better quarterback than spencer sanders this year i mean that's I mean, that's
1: where we're at right yeah I mean,
0: I mean because again you have so much uncertainty again i think when
1: when he has to go out and win games though that's when he becomes a disaster
0: True, but like there isn't a proven quarterback in the Big Twelve to show that they can go out and win games in a Power Five conference.
1: There is not. I mean, the
0: closest thing you have is Dylan Gabriel, but again, it's not like he like what he did. He play last year? Or was he hurt? I can't re- even remember what happened.
1: Well, uh, yeah, I believe he was hurt last year. And we'll put it this way: here's my concern with Dylan Gabriel. That is that, um, Art Briles' offense because they have Jeff Lebby as the offense yep, coordinator. That is true. It came over from Ole Miss, I'm going to say. Yeah, like it, it was
0: – wasn't it Western Kentucky then Ole Miss? Or no, it was UCF, then it was yeah. Ole Miss, and had, now it's Oklahoma.
1: And, and he did have Dylan Gabriel at UCF. Yes, so yes. there. Is yes. there. So that was his best that. year. That was Dylan yep.
0: Gabriel's best year.
1: You like that combo. But uh, that system also really loves to run the crap out of its quarterback. And yep. Dylan Gabriel is known to be fragile. I mean, Matt Corral ran 40 times one game last year. It was not the same after that.
0: Correct, correct it's gonna be interesting and, and I, I think it's gonna be a wide open Big Twelve, but I officially have you down for Baylor over K State in the Big Twelve Championship game. K State going by default. To, what
1: <laughs> My put it in says by default. Yes, by because default, by, by, but is it is are.
0: the prediction. This is yep. this is the blitz month. And uh, I, I will have us uh uh you know going into bowl season. I won't make you try to predict the bowl game in opponent as well. Um all mm-hmm. right, we're gonna we're gonna wrap oh. it up, or unless you want to.
1: No, well, you know, I'd say Alamo Bowl this year kind of feels right in that scenario.
0: Yeah, because also with the way the different tie-ins work and how uh, the playoff, the four or the two playoff games, I gamed this out. There's only one option. There's only one possible slot for the Big Twelve to get the their non-conference uh, champion in if we don't have a playoff team. Uh, so the likelihood of getting two teams in New Year's Six bowls are very, very small this year. It would have to be the Fiesta Bowl versus um, whoever the G five team is because all the other uh, non playoff games have tie ins that do not that are not open ended. So
1: yeah, and just to go back on our last conversation. Just one last comment. Just judging and going off everything that we have said, if there is no fiasco associated with. Quinn Ewers, when it comes to him being Texas quarterback, even though Hudson Cardale played him, by all accounts, if there's no fiasco there and he's pretty good, I mean the avenue is there for the Longhorns.
0: Yeah, and and I don't believe in Texas. Like I think with all the drama going on there, because it is seeming like you know at least the appearance from the outside, outside of the forty acres, and probably inside the forty acres as well, it looks like the donors basically said we don't care. We're we we paid all this money you start our guy. And if that is what happens, I think that is a disaster waiting in the locker room. I think that's a disaster waiting, you know, in the smoke filled rooms of Austin, Texas. I, I think that, that is what changed my opinion. I originally was kind of on the same page. I was Texas's back until that happened. I
1: was so,
0: the same yep. All right. Final question, Uh, future of the big 12 we've ended uh, we ended it last year, asking a similar type of question. And again, totally different atmosphere around the conference. But what is the conference going to look like in 2024? You and I have like a little bit of a bet on this one. I've wavered back and forth on this. Uh, you know, if if Texas and Oklahoma are going to be in the league in 2024, that's their last uh, contractually obligated season in the Big 12. That's also going to be the first year where USC and UCLA are in the Big 10. So that is also the first year. If you hypothetically were going to poach any teams from the uh, Pac-12, that's the first year they could potentially be in the Big 12. So who's going to be in the Big 12? How many teams are going to be in the Big 12 in 2024?
1: Well, it's a good question, right? And uh, I wish I, uh, I'd love to be a, a fly on the wall of any room where, that has any kind of definitive knowledge you know what I mean? Or just like the big I mean, 12. So there options.
0: is no, I don't think there is a room in the world. That yeah, there there might that not be a room,
1: but at least ones that have more info and probably have a lean based on that because I'm very intrigued to how it will look. But by that year, I will stand by my side of that argument, that bet, because I do think it's going to align with those television contracts because I think, I think that alignment makes too much sense. And even if Texas and Oklahoma have to be made whole somehow to make that deal work, I think ESPN, the SEC, the Big 12, something will happen. um, Even if it takes the big Pac-12 as well, something will happen to orchestrate that. Um, I think there is two more seasons left for Texas and Oklahoma in the Big 12, that being this one and, and the next one. They are contractually obligated to play in 2024. That does have happened to be the first year in the new SEC television contract with ESPN. That now looks pretty outdated already, which is crazy to think just because of what the Big Ten was able to strike with their well, media. Partners. The Big
0: Ten has always been in front of the SEC. I think there's like oh. always this perception of oh, the SEC, the most money, the most money, all this type of stuff. It has right, always right. been the Big Ten. But
1: right now, but I would say they did just lap them in financial dollars they lapped them in exposure i mean big 10 now seemingly is 80 percent of the most appealing television windows on the most appealing television networks i mean yeah
0: i think sec's hope is that espn continues to be the worldwide leader really flexes that. But at the end of the day, I don't think ESPN can like not talk Big Ten. I don't think that they're going to ice out the Big Ten they're never going to talk about. But also in today's day and age, ESPN has never mattered less when it comes to being – you know, in the zeitgeist. Yes. Ultimately a lot of the tastemakers are still under the umbrella of the worldwide leader, but you know, people are listening to podcasts or going to websites like yours. Uh, They're getting kind of their own niche national, you know, podcast type stuff. Um, I I think the worldwide leader has never had less muscle to flex, but I think the SEC is hoping that they kind of do push out the big 10 a little bit.
1: Yeah, but the fact that you're on a very appealing Fox window, a very appealing CBS window, and a very appealing NBC window, uh, yeah, they I think they flexed on the SEC more than they ever have. Will that ultimately matter? I don't think that's going to move the needle in terms of who's good and who isn't. It's just interesting that the Big Ten basically said SEC, that's great with everything you have, but we're going to do it all, but better in every single way, and they did, and Kevin Moore had to do that to get everybody back on his side after he really fumbled the ball uh, on other facets of his job. But anyway, getting back to the group of the question, I think Texas and Oklahoma are in the SEC starting in 2024. I don't think they played out in Big 12. Um, USC and UCLA do leave the Pac-12 at the same time to go to the Big 10. I don't think the Big 10 is going to want an entire television contract. And I don't think USC or UCLA want an entire television contract Of years which is what six or seven i want to say is that contract
0: yeah seven years or no it's it's six years it comes back up in like seven years okay so So it's a six year deal
1: they want to go six years with every road game nearly requiring a cross-country flight i just don't think that's feasible even if it's monetarily feasible which it is now just they're all made of money and have gold planes at this point it's from a comparative standpoint, that's rough. And if we're still going to put up this academic facade, that's rough. It is. And if they claim that that stuff matters, I think it will matter. So I just think that there's going to be other Pac-12 teams that get in the big 10 by that year, 2024, um, just to make the travel and situation a little, a little more palatable, especially those non-revenue sports. I mean, what are you going to do just like leave for three weeks? I mean, that's, (laughs) that's basically what you would have to do to kind of make it worth it and to not have it affect you competitively with your body, all that travel back and forth. I mean, four or five hour flights. So I think Oregon's in the big 10 by 2024. I really do. I think Stanford is the question would be is Cal, I guess is, is Washington. Um, I think Washington probably is. And then that fourth one, because I think they're I think they're still gonna want an even number. I don't think they're gonna to want to do stupid. They'll take Cal at that point. I guess we have to take somebody. They would take Cal, I think. I don't think it would be Colorado or Utah. I think it would be Cal.
0: Yeah, I think it'd be Cal as well.
1: But that's only if Notre Dame chooses to go another television contract to be independent. If they say oh, fine, we'll join the league, and I think Cal's probably shit out of luck with Oregon State and Washington State. That's the way I see it. So And the Big 12, by virtue of not necessarily having any teams worth pulling from, and that's really what it is. The Big 12 is more stable than both the ACC and Pac-12 because they don't have any schools that are necessarily appealing to the Big 10 or the SEC. Because of that, they're going to become the de facto third league when it's all said and done, and that's really looking down the pike when the ACC grant of rights has expired. But those four quarter schools that don't have a home at that point, well,
0: I think they're going to be in the big 12 by 2024. I really do. Well, there you go. I can't wait for, uh, What's your yeah. So I, I, I think that's where I am in uh, that. That's the only reason why I'm not feeling as bullish about my original prediction. When you and I bet some uh, wings and beers at the peanut, which we may have to uh, <laughs> switch it oh, You'll be in Kansas city at some point i'm sure yeah and and it's still a few years down the line but i that's why i'm i'm kind of pulling back on my prediction uh because i think that if the big 12 can add in i'm calling them the mountain schools instead of the four corner schools because it's not all of the four corner states so i'm calling them the mountain schools Uh, um you can add new mexico state if you want you know well you know jerry kill i mean i don't know i think they lost last night i didn't didn't watch it. Yeah. Um, well, and hell, I mean, it's Jerry killing a bunch of coaches that used to be at Pitt state, you know, yeah. it's wild. Hey, beating out KU for recruits right here in the sunflower state, you know, Jerry kills going to get up and going. Um, but I, I think, I think that is what's going to come to, I think we're going to get some sort of dollar figure buyout from Oklahoma and Texas. I think it's going to be lower than what that projected is or, uh, you know, if, if, if we end up getting back in bed with uh, ESPN, I think what it could be is ESPN says, hey, we're going to give all the schools $10 million uh, for tier three rights over 10 years or whatever, whatever year amount. And if you guys let Texas go. So I think we're going to see some sort of negotiating on behalf of uh, the SEC by ESPN to kind of give a de facto. And I think it's going to happen in the terms of the tier three rights, uh, which I'll say this. I want the Big 12, no matter what happens with Tier 1 and Tier 2, I desperately want the Tier 3 rights to live with ESPN because I think ESPN+, Plus, uh, especially allowing uh, kstahd.tv to run production for everything except for the football games uh, on ESPN+, Plus in-home, has made K-State's Tier 3 rights amazing. Um, So I think that's what's going to happen. I think we're going to see some sort of uh, higher-than-expected Tier 3 rights from espn and that's what allows es or uh oklahoma and texas to leave early and then we bring in arizona arizona state colorado and utah
1: yeah and uh, to to be honest if it works out that way i kind of hope so because I, I don't see another better case scenario for the big 12 to be honest
0: i, I mean i i think being the second tier product for fox um might be okay maybe you get one uh fox window I mean,
1: from a growth standpoint
0: oh from a growth i mean i i think the big 12 is in trouble when it comes to the growth i think i think that uh for yeah, better or worse like being the, the first one to get picked over and moving quick enough to sustain yourself i think that's ultimately what's going to allow them to survive and i, I agree, think
1: but best case scenario at this point seems to be like what's going to happen best yes. case scenario is survival and adding those four schools
0: Yes. And, 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 you know what, I mean, and you reference this. And again, we, we've kind of gone in the final blitz month episode <laughs> of this year. We, we've uh, we've kind of uh, gone a little bit off the edge, but that's fine. I also do think it puts you in position to be the, uh, you know, number three conference, because again, there are a lot of properties that both the big 10 and the sec want in the ACC. And then there's a couple that, only the sec might want and there's a couple that maybe only the big 10 might want but there's going to be programs that are left over so if it's like oh they all got up to 20 or 22 or 24 you're going to be able to go in and be like okay who is the best of the best that's left over you grab pit you grab louisville um and, and it sure. might
1: might be yeah like you said pit louisville i don't know maybe virginia tech maybe i think Ver-
0: I, th- I think both those schools end up in the SEC.
1: Okay. Because well, I, I, I could we-
0: see I could see uh, Virginia and North Carolina ending up in the Big Ten, and the mm-hmm. SEC doesn't want to get cut out of uh, the DMV. Yes, I think Georgia Tech is one of those schools that will go to the Big Ten. They're not going to be wanted by uh, the SEC. But I don't think the SEC wants to be shut out of the DMV area, which, again – means you have to take Virginia Tech and I think they don't want to get shut out of North Carolina because you're starting to see a lot more you know blue chip type high school football and basketball guys in the North Carolinas so I think they take NC State I think they take Virginia Tech um and I don't know if I don't know if they grab anyone else I mean do they grab Florida State I don't know they're not going to grab Miami I mean do one of those schools go up to the Big Ten I'm not sure um Miami might
1: it's kind of a no, for its private act. Yeah,
0: I mean, I don't know. I, I think I think that they will be damaged enough that the Big 12 is then able to sweep in, pick up the pieces and choose whether they want to be 20, 22, 24. And again, I don't like it. It's not conferences at that point. Again, it's just like an, a rough affiliation. I mean, when you get to the point where you can't even play everyone in basketball every year. I mean, that's stupid. Like, you're not going to have a 23-game schedule where you play everyone once. That's not going to fucking happen. So I, I think yes, it's all so stupid, but the Big 12 is going – I I now find it very hard to think the Big 12 won't survive because when the ACC starts crumbling in on himself, I don't think that they're going to have the leadership and um, just the vision to then carry – to to rally the troops, gather the horses, and then maybe, well, like, take enough
1: teams. schools – enough schools could – it could combust, like, enough the schools I mean, would just go dis- dissolve.
0: I mean, but I think if that was going to happen, like, you might see it. You you would need a lot of collusion from the Big Ten, SEC, current members of the ACC, maybe even the Big 12 well, so to is see that, that happen.
1: is right? a least bit flimsy. Florida State is gone. Miami is gone. Clemson is gone.
0: Oh, yeah, because Clemson will go to the SEC.
1: Florida State, Miami, Clemson, North Carolina, Virginia, Georgia Tech, for sure. Yes. And then you can say maybe Virginia Tech, maybe NC State.
0: That gets you I mean, to eight. They, they, I think you need 10. So I mean, then it's like okay. It to,
1: but those six schools are going to say, Hey, all you 16 in the Big 12, come over here. Like, that's well, I don't
0: yeah. want I I don't want Rutgers. And I, I know, especially because of the, the basketball conference, the Big Twelve could be like it might be appealing to maybe grab Syracuse. I don't want Syracuse. No, I I want Pitt. Is my anyway. Yeah, I I want Pitt and I want uh, I mean, Louisville. What does someone take Duke? I mean that that's interesting. So does North or do they, Carolina or, do they,
1: become, or do they or do they become East Coast Gonzaga?
0: I mean maybe, but like, what, are are they gonna? Is the Big East gonna let them join? Or are they gonna try to create their own like little mini conference? Like, what what are they gonna do? Are they gonna have like a six team? <laughs> conference and then they're like okay hey we're gonna play uh north carolina kentucky ku like just have like
1: after we take louisville and pitt and like yeah i don't know i mean duke and syracuse maybe end up in the big east i don't know
0: yeah well it's gonna be wild and i'm glad it's not the big 12 getting blown up uh that that's gonna be the end of this episode maybe maybe you and i can write some uh fan fiction next summer about how this is going to end um so that's all we have Thank you to our sponsors, Manhattan Brewing Company. Remember, remember Townie Wheat. I, this is me. I've gone rogue. I don't know if they're like going to listen to this and if they're going to even like that I've dubbed it this, but I'm calling Townie Wheat the tailgate beer of 2022. Remember, their pumpkin beer just dropped. We love them. We love the pumpkin beers. And then Charlie Hustle, promo code Bosco15 for 15% off any of the shirts. Derek, do you want to say anything to the boneheads? I think you're going to uh, have our primer uh, so, people are going to be hearing you on Thursday, uh, yeah. September 1st. So, I mean, I, I would say, folks, make sure you listen to our primer episode on Thursday. But is there anything you want to tell everyone in the meantime?
1: No, just uh, I had the last Blitz episode, first primer episode. So, uh, yes. It, back and, and, to back.
0: Yeah. Well, so we'll have the preview episode on Wednesday. So, uh, I think I'm going to touch on this on the Monday episode because this is dropping on Tuesday, the 30th. Um, The the schedule this year is going to be Monday will be game review. Tuesday is going to be a Q and a show Wednesday will be, my game preview show Thursday will be the wildcat whip around that or, or the Thursday whip around. Maybe I'll call it the wildcat whip around. I'm not sure what I'm going to call it. That's going to have all the old primers. We're going to have a big 12 game of the week talk with Philip Slaven of the 10, 12. We're going to have all that fun stuff that used to be part of the preview episode that made those episodes super long, have its own show on Thursday. And then we're going to have the live show on Friday, publishing on Friday recording on Wednesday. So you will be on the inaugural Thursday whip around show. So, everyone listen to that. I, I'm excited to see the evolution of Bosco's voice, So, it's, it's fun times.
1: Meet, meet Grant at the Cathead.
0: Yeah. Meet Grant at the Cathead. And, and what I've been saying is, you know, for, for Derek Young, for Chauncey Bosco, who's taking a little snooze or nap, we love you guys and go cats.
1: It's time to get set for the cat attack. You can
0: feel it coming on for Kansas State. The feeling's growing strong. You can join in the action. This is where you want to be with Kansas State. Come on, set your spirit free. Kansas State, our pride is with the cats. Kansas State, come on, join the cats.